A lot of us know the phrase, uh, when life gives you lemon, you... Great, but some uh, may not know exactly what that means, so we're going to flush that out a tad. Um, The phrase was made popular by a guy named Dale Carnegie. Um, He wrote books on public speaking, making friends, and how to influence people. Um, And the phrase, I kind of took the phrase and said it different ways. Um, When life gives you something sour, makes something sweet. When you're backed up against a cliff, spread your wings and fly. When you get knocked down, you get up again. When the be- make the best of what you have and take a bad situation, make it better. Because a lot of this, even the video, we use this phrase, when life gives you lemons, you make lemonade. So I want to make sure we understand that. But it's just this, uh, make, take what you've got, even if it's a bad situation, make it the best you can. And uh, speaking of lemonade, though, I've heard of a mythical day, long time ago, back when Art Bone was a kid and the earth was flat. Okay, long time ago. Is Art here? I love you, Art. <laughs> now, Art is a wise man. Sometimes after Golden Airs, we'll chat about his life, and he'll teach me things. And we'll talk about that a little bit, too. But I've heard way back a long time ago that uh, you could be driving down the road and see a little, a little table with some nine-year-old forward-thinking kids that are selling lemonade. And get a nice big glass for 25 cents. You know, the steep places in the nice neighborhood, 75 cents. Um, now, you need a credit card or a $20 bill. Um, Emily and I were grad sailing in Summer Hills because that is where nice things come from. And uh, we saw this girl, just this girl um, in, front, in her driveway selling lemonade. And uh, we were like, you know, you know, Emily, let's do that. Let's stop at a lemonade place. And I go over there, and I felt like I was robbed at gunpoint. It was like $3 or something for some watered-down crystal light. And, uh, and I'm not joking. I even made Emily try it just because it was, it was terrible. Don't, Sally, don't go to Sally's Lemonade. That was rough. Anyways, this idea of making lemonade thing um, out of tough times permeates Chapter 7. And some of you guys know who have been here for the last couple of weeks, we're going through Ecclesiastes. And it is a very interesting book. You got the senior pastor guy, and he is teaching. He is just like talking about everything's meaningless and futile and fleeting, and, and everything under the sun doesn't matter. And there's these little references, though, that what does matter is what is in the sun, S O N. Okay, what is in Jesus? Jesus makes this life on earth purposeful and meaningful. And without Jesus, there is nothing meaningful or purposeful about this place. And, uh, and so then we get into this time where he says, okay, in these bad situations where it doesn't seem like there's, a, there's the best option, you choose what's better. And so if I do my job correctly, um, at the end of this, we'll have four uh, fundamentals as to how to handle tough situations and how we respond in those and why that matters. Um, so we're going to be in Ecclesiastes chapter 7. Uh, and we're just going to stick around verses 1 through 14, because in the first 10 verses, the ESV uses the word better 10 times. So 10 verses uses the word better, sorry, 6 times. That is a repeating word. And as you guys uh, study your Bibles, keep that in mind. When you run across repeating words, um, the authors are very purposeful. And so uh, that's a place maybe you could study. And so that's what I found. And so I, uh, we're going to stick right in that 1 to 14 section. Um, before I go any further, though, I do want to say that as I read commentaries on this passage, 
Um, there were many people that said, you know, chapter 7 is probably the roughest book to preach out of, um, out of, I mean, toughest chapter to preach out of, um, out of the book of Ecclesiastes, because it's kind of this weird transitional type chapter. And so um, I was like, thanks, Bob. That's, that's how this works. Hey, I'm leaving. Uh, take this one. It's weird. Don't, don't do that. And skip the one before that, because that one's weird too. So here we are, chapter 7, verses 1 through 14. Uh, let's pray and get started. God, we come to you now um, as a group of people that love and pursue you, Lord. Um, we are going to study uh, your word, and I pray with all my heart that the words coming out of my mouth will be your words, and that our hearts will be pre- prepared to receive truth from it. Um, it is in vain if we speak up here about things and we have no idea what to do about it or with it, and so I pray that when we leave here, we will have between two and four, uh, good fundamentals for us to be able to deal with these hard times. And uh, we know that um, not far, even in our um, immediate family, a lot of us have very tough decisions, hard times, and seemingly helpless moments. And I pray that this section will help us through those, Lord. We do love you, and I thank you for this time together. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. So let's go ahead and read the verses 1 through 10 just to get started here. So we're all on the same page. Um, It is not on the PowerPoint. There are uh, pew Bibles in front of you that you guys can use if you didn't uh, have time to bring your Bible this morning. So let's read. A good name is better than precious ointment, and the day of death than the day of birth. It is better to go to the house of mourning than to go to the house of feasting. For this is the end of all mankind. And the living will lay to heart. Sorrow is better than laughter, for by sadness of face the heart is made glad. The heart of the wise is in the house of mourning, but the heart of the fools is in the house of mirth. It is better for a man to hear the rebuke of the wise than to hear the song of fools. For as the crackling of thorns under a pot, so is the laughter of fools. This also is vanity. Surely oppression drives the wise into madness, and the bribe corrupts the heart. Better is the day of the thing than its beginning. Oh, better is the end of a thing than its beginning, and the patient in spirit is better than the proud in spirit. Be not quick in your spirit to become angry, for anger lodges in the bosom of fools. Say not, why were the former days better than these? For it is not from wisdom that you say this. So, in a life that seems littered with hard times, tough choices, and helpless moments, verse 1 reminds us that a good name is better than precious ointment. And when I first read that, and I was reading these commentaries, like, I don't know, I think I've always been taught that our reputation doesn't matter. Jesus matters. And that is true. But we find that our reputation does matter for a number of reasons. And before we go any further... I'm going to do something I do with the high school sometimes, um, and it's not childish. It's just good for us to practically see where we stand. So if we could all put our heads down and close our eyes, I'm just going to ask a few questions, okay? Go ahead and raise your hand if you have had or believe you will have hard times, tough decisions, or seemingly helpless moments. Go ahead and raise your hand. You can put your hands down. Okay, you can put your heads up. Just so you know, almost every single person in this room rose their hand. And that's not surprising. Um, And so this 
passage is going to help us through this stuff. I, 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 have, I have complete confidence in this. And so let's move on here. Our reputation matters. A good name is better than precious ointment. So a reputation is more valuable than the biggest house, the nicest car, or the deepest pockets. Um, and let me give an example of why. There was a South Dallas pastor um, whose last day of ministry, probably for the rest of his life, was on February 15th, which was 103 days ago. Um, he was accused of um, being a part of sexually and lewd acts with male congregation members. And there's no real proof other than a couple people are saying, yes, this is happening. And even though there's really no proof of this, um, his reputation is damaged. And us Christians say that's terrible. How dare he? He should be locked up. And if he did do that, that's probably exactly where he will be. Um, and the bigger problem I see is that non-Christians start out the same. This is terrible. How dare he? And he should be locked up. And then ends with, his God is not a God I want to follow. And that is terrible. And that is a good example of why our reputation matters. And some of us say, well, what we do doesn't change our God. And you're right, it doesn't. But let me read you a couple of verses. Genesis 1.26 says, Let us make man in our image and in our likeness. That is our Trinitarian God speaking. Let us make man in our image and in our likeness. Then John 13, 14 through 15, Jesus says this to his disciples. Okay? This is one of the last conversations he has with, with them. And he says this, I give you another command. Love one another. As I have loved you, you must love one another. And then here comes this part. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples. So this is what this is saying, that Jesus is saying to these guys, I'm going to go be crucified and raised again and go sit up in heaven with the Father. And my last command, a new one I give to you, is to love one another. Because the people around you are going to look at how you guys act with each other and with other people, and everyone will know that you are my disciples. So the way we are acting, people will look at us and say, they are Christians, good or bad. And it reflects on Jesus, because we are made and created in the image of God. Even people who do not believe there's a God still, to a point, reflect who Jesus is. And so us, it's even more so. And when pastors do silly things or put themselves in silly situations where this happens, your reputation is damaged and people look at that because of your actions and attribute that to God, rightfully or wrongfully. But Jesus says that people will do that. Okay? Our re reputation matters not for the job promotion or for the affection of friends at school, but because some people, all they'll know about our God is what they see in his followers, and that's us. So our reputation does matter. And that is more valuable than the money we live our practical life with. That precious ointment, that's expensive. And you use it sparingly. Because it costs so much. It's so valuable. But our reputation is so much more valuable. So, when you're driving down the road and you get cut off, and you think about giving someone the bird with a fish sticker on the back of your car, Remember, your reputation matters. Bob's like, I don't think our congregation's going to know what the bird is. I'm like, Bob, I think they're going to know what the bird is. Okay? <laughs> and take a little bit more serious step. He said to use glares, by the way, because sometimes we can have some really darting looks. Uh, oh, fish sticker, wonderful, another bent Christian. Um, the next, next one I got here, I'm just, 
I'm not trying to pull any punches. I think this is real stuff. When we go to those porn sites, our reputation matters. And it's not just about you and the, what's going to happen in the sinful blocking between you and Christ and the stuff that separates us that way. It's not just about that. It's also about our reputation because we reflect Christ. And let me say this last two and then I'll say something. Uh, prayer as a conduit for gossip. That's terrible. I, if, <laughs> when we say, hey, uh, just so you can pray for this person, they got a divorce. Dude, that is terrible. That is a reason for us to gossip. That is a way we use it, and it is wrong. And there are ways we can say, hey, this person's going through a tough time, even maybe use specifics, and ask for prayer out of love. And the one thing I can only say is check your heart on that prayer and gossip thing. That is a dangerous thing to get into. And the other one is one that maybe is just me. I struggle with this, and I have a Bible study accountability group, and, and they can hold me accountable. But ruthless jokes, man. That can be tough. We can really tear each other apart joking. <laughs> And, uh, and it reflects. Um, people will see that, and, uh, and they will attribute that uh, to Jesus. And, you know, I'll say this now. I think, dude, we made the phrase hypocrite popular, man. Because the stuff we're doing, we just, sometimes I feel like I don't even think about my reputation because I know my God is good. And so I kind of do whatever I want. And, man, we, we do so many things, and we come down with so many people then do these other things. Man, this word hypocrite, you know, like... Like, we've got to get away from that. And I think one thing to keep in mind is our reputation matters. Because when the world looks at Jesus' followers and they see those things, they see an impatient, a slanderous, an insensitive, an uncontrolled, and hurtful God. And that's our fault. And I may start sounding like that preacher in Ecclesiastes kind of coming down on us. But I think it's real, and I think that's what he's getting at here. Our reputation matters. And we're created in the image of God, and because of that, we, we need to act a certain way because some people, all they'll see of our Jesus is how we act. And they will see they are supposed to be Christians and like Christ. That must be what Christ is like. And we've done a disservice. Um, we are called to be like Christ. So because of that, our reputation matters. And that's the first point up there. It'll come. It'll come. Boom. Reputation is better than wealth, okay? Second, in this life that seems to be littered with hard times, tough choices, and helpless moments, verses 2 through 4 says, It is better to go to the house of mourning than go to the house of feasting, and sorrow is better than laughter. We're going to close in on those. Um, So this house of mourning is like a funeral home. And I can't help but think this is Memorial Day weekend. And that a lot of us have paid tribute in sense. I've seen people putting flags out at the cemetery. And uh, when you go to a funeral home, um, you tend to think, my life is limited. Life is short. And you hear that at funerals all the time. Life is short. And this verse, this is what this is saying. It is better to go to a house of mourning and get a reality check about your life. It is short and you have a purpose. Get a reality check. Versus going to a house of feasting and kind of partying and trying to forget about stuff and, and get away from those things. And then sorrow is better than laughter. Sorrow is sobering. Um, I've been back and forth on whether or not I was going to talk about this, but a couple of years ago, Emily and I lost a child. Um, it was a miscarriage. And it was by far the hardest thing I've ever had to deal with. And I almost felt like I just didn't know what to do. 
And I had, you know, I talked with Bob, and Bob wanted to make sure I had that reality check, that I didn't try to ignore this and stuff it away. Um, and that was really helpful because I literally, I don't know why I want to do this, but I wanted to get on my motorcycle, with Emily, of course, and just go, and go, and go, and go. And I didn't know why I would want to do that, but I just want to get away from everything. And, uh, and in hindsight, I think it's just the cowboy in me. I want to get on my horse and ride, you know, just work this out. Um, but Bob and DJ were, uh, were, were there and helping me through that. But it was the toughest thing. And uh, that reality check, what Emily and I found is we were helped and guided into a reality check. This is what real, really happened. Like, where, where are we? What do we do from here? And the encouraging thing is, is, is in that time, we ran to Jesus. And it's, it's, a, it's a song, I think, or something. It seems cheesy, but I literally felt that way. That as soon as it happened, we're like, we have no idea what to do. Jesus, come here. And we just like... Hug Jesus. Like, we had nothing else to do. And, you know, sorrow is sobering. We took a real look at our life and our priorities. You know, and I think even at one time, we're like, we need to sell our house. We need to start giving to these people, you know, that need money. And, like, we just had a sobering moment there. And, uh, and it was really good for us. And that's where that phrase is going to come in. Where would we be without the lemonade? When life gives us lemons, we make lemonade. And in that scenario, we got a lemon. Don't get me wrong. Jesus did not take our kid away to have this moment with us. He used that moment, though. And uh, this, when we take these hard times and we make lemonade out of them, do we grow? And, and a lot of us can attest to this. A lot of these, you know, even me talking with, with even Art through some things, he has some wise words about this stuff. And we grow. Where would we be without the lemonade from those hard times? Just keep thinking about that. Um, we have the propensity in hard times uh, in making tough choices, and when we're in seemingly helpless moments to try to escape from it. And I got a couple examples. They don't apply to everyone, but drinking, drugs, sex, parties, self-pity, and character defamation of others and character defamation of ourselves. We like to kind of destroy ourselves when we don't even know it. We just want to get out of it, get out of our mind, forget about it. And, you know, there are probably healthy ways to do that also, but we kind of have a propensity to go through those. And we're taught here... Um, it is better to not try to escape reality. Um, it is better to have a re- reality check than to check out. And that's our next point. It's better to have a reality check than to check out. I remember multiple times through my high school, uh, oh, actually, first, my, I've been working here for six years um, as paid staff, and it went by like that. I feel like I've been here like a year. So I've been here for six years, and I've met with hundreds of students and hundred, uh, many college age, and, uh, and even some of you guys. You guys let me talk to you sometimes. But one thing I've noticed is that when people are having emotional issues or behavioral issues, usually nine times out of ten, maybe eight times out of ten, um, there is something in their near past or in the present that they are stuffing away. They are checking out instead of having a reality check. And as we have that reality check, where are you really at, man? What's really going on? Let's deal with that stuff. That is where we see lemonade. We see the fruit out of that. The good things coming out when we take that on. And uh, I had a time in my high school career um, where I had kind of pulled away from my relationship with Christ. I don't know if it was intentionally. You know, in hindsight, it's kind of hard to remember how all that works. But I remember just feeling like, man, I'm drifting away. What am I doing wrong? And I just keep getting further and further away. And, uh, and what I did was, is I found other people who believed in God, but were okay with that too. And I just kind of naturally surrounded myself with them. And, uh, and I wasn't, you know, like killing people and setting houses on fire. But I was definitely, I had 
some stuff going on, and I was checking out. And my parents and my pastor helped me realize uh, what's really going on and had me have that reality check. And uh, again, we saw great things. And I believe that that time in high school when I just finally committed, I was like, it's either on or off. Let's make a decision here. And I had that reality check. That was a launch pad for the rest of my life. And I continue to make mistakes constantly. And some of you guys have know that or have watched me do stupid things. But, you know, the, the point is, is that in those moments, we have that reality check. We see really where we are. So um, here's the application for you guys. And I did a little something special here. You guys will catch on to it. When family fractures, when bad health wreaks havoc, when finances become frustrating, when your teens bring you to tears, when your faith seems fleeting, when your home is hostile, when your husbands are helpless, when your wives are without seizing, when your plan becomes pointless, and when your life seems lifeless, remember your God is good. Remember your God is good because in the reality check, the reality of the situation is that Jesus saved us from ourselves a long time ago. He's provided us with that. A lot of us have accepted that free gift, and God works powerfully today in our lives, and the reality is that eternity is at the end of all this. These tough times, hard decisions, helpless moments, at the end of it, God has given us a gift, a free gift of eternity with him in paradise and heaven. And that is well worth it. That is the reality. Okay, thirdly, we're doing wonderful on time. Thirdly, this one, I might get in a little bit of trouble for this one, but I split it up into two parts. Verses 5 and 10, um, we are going to read that, and then uh, we're going to break it up into two different categories. One's for the youngsters, and then one's for the AARP crew. And if you don't know what AARP is, you're probably with the youngsters, okay? <laughs> All right, verses 5 and 10. It is better for a man to hear the rebuke of the wise than to hear the song of fools. Youngsters, I'm going to read that again. It is better for a man to hear the rebuke of the wise than to hear the song of a fools. AARP crew. Say not, why were the former days better than these? For it is not from wisdom that you ask this. Okay, so we break that up into two. Youngsters, we'll start with you. It is better for a man to hear the rebuke of a wise man than to hear the song of the fools. Um, we have the propensity, um, as being the, in, in the earlier part of our lives, to uh, surround ourselves with flattery because we need to validate ourselves somehow. We don't feel validated. We, we're like these, these horizontal relationships. I want these to validate me. And we lose perspective of the vertical relationship and the validation that is there. Okay, and so what we do... We, we surround ourselves with people who will flatter us and, and, be, and sing these foolish songs to us to make us feel good about ourselves. Because we are still sales associates and not managers, apprentices instead of foremen, co-pilots instead of pilots, the best friend and, and not the boyfriend, and daddy's princess and not the prom queen. Let me tell you something about the last one. You will always be daddy's princess. Am I right? You will always be daddy's princess. Always. Not the guys. John, I'm not talking about you, okay? <laughs> and also, when, when, you, when you get into, like, you know, girls, when you get, you know, 25 or 30, you can start dating. You know, we will, we will allow you to do that. That's biblical, I think. When you get to that 25 or 30, we'll allow you to start dating. He can come in, and we'll clean the shotgun. What's your name again? What are your intentions? 
Yeah. Dude, I tell you what, the more I've had Sophie, the more, uh, a little bit more protective, you know. I'm going to buy a shotgun just to clean it. <laughs> I don't know how to use it. <laughs> no, uh, <laughs> what we do is we forget that work is work. Friendships are important, and you will always be daddy's princess, and those things are important, Okay. Um, we validate ourselves with horizontal relationships, and we lose sight of the vertical relationship with Jesus. And uh, instead of, of, of accepting wise words, we surround ourselves with these songs of fools. We want to be around people that are just like, oh, you're doing this wonderful, or this is great. And, uh, and so I had an encounter with Bob where he uh, had some wise words, okay? And I put it up here to show what he did, and he's like, Brian... You know, it's going to sound like I ripped you apart. I'm not thinking you did, dude. <laughs> but uh, no, he, he didn't. I'm, I'm just kidding. He helped me see something, though, and walk a little more tentatively. Go ahead and put up this next one here, okay? Okay, so don't do anything else. We have a plot system, an X and Y axis, okay? As you go up, you're very confident. And this is like in an area of work, okay? So I'm very confident in my work, you know? And this was, mind you, this was like five years ago, okay? Uh, I'm very confident and, uh, and so in your, if you're in that upper right-hand uh, quadrant, you're very confident, but very incompetent. Okay, so you're like, I can do this, and really you have no idea how to do that. You just don't know what you don't know, right? And then as you go down, you get really unconfident, okay? And then if you're in the bottom right-hand quadrant, you are unconfident and incompetent, and uh, that's a tough place to be, okay? And then as you swing around to uh, the third quadrant, the bottom left, um, you become... You're still unconfident, but you're becoming more competent in it, okay? You're like, I'm not sure I can do this, but really, you can do it better than you think now. And then as you get up in the upper left, which I'd like to be sometime when I'm in my 50s, you're very competent and very confident, okay? And uh, so go ahead and put up those first dots. Okay, so that one, I would be very confident, but also... I, I would have some competence, you know, I'm kind of, I'm not way over there incompetent, okay? So go to the second one there. That one would be okay, and this is usually the chart people take, okay? And so then they become, they realize, oh man, I can't do this, I'm doing terrible. But as they go through that process, they become more competent, they can do it better, right? Then the next one, usually end up around here. You become very competent, but you are uh, also still not really confident, okay? So you start doing things really well, but you're a little skittish. You're like, I made some mistakes when I thought I knew how to do it. And then you end up up here, which is great. This is Art Bowen. He's very competent and very confident. That's where you want to be. And so Bob drew this out and was explaining this. I wonder where Bob will put me. And this is where he put me. Hit the button twice. Right there. <laughs> yeah. But Bob wanted me to clarify that it was a very specific area and that he was very gentle, and he was. So anyways, those were, the, those were wise words. And, and if I wanted somebody just to flatter me, I'd go talk to Lori Wydronic. Because she loves me. She, she would, like, if, if I, like, uh, fell down and broke my face up here and it said heresy, she'd be like, you know, Brent, it was good, though. It was good. Yeah. And, and she would just, she's really positive with me. So whenever I'm down, that's where I go. And then I go talk to Bob every Monday, so. All right, so guys, the youngins, that's, that's our struggle more than the older crowd. Um, they kind of more understand how things work. We start to think we're better than we are at things. Uh, we want to validate ourselves, and then uh, we get ourselves into trouble that way. So be careful with that, okay? AARP crew, verse 10. Say not, why were the former days better than these? For it is not from wisdom that you ask that. Let me clarify something. 
This is saying that we should not say, dude, back in my day, it was so much better and live by that. It's saying we should not do that. What it's not saying, though, I just want to clarify this, talking about cultural differences and shifts, that's not, there's nothing wrong with that. But what it's saying is that if you're living by the philosophy that yesterday was the good days, a while back was the good days, uh, that is dangerous, they say, okay? Because it takes away from the wonderful things God is doing today. If we are constantly thinking, excuse me, if we are constantly thinking, in the past, those were the good days, I'm just going to sit back, there's no help for this generation. First off, thanks. <laughs> Second off, I would say you're wrong. Because Jesus is still working, and because Jesus is working, there is hope. And that is why it is dangerous to live by the philosophy that today was better, that's when the good stuff happened, God was doing great things, the church was better then, worship was better then, preaching was better then, cars used better stuff, I don't know. They're always breaking nowadays, but I, I hear old people tell me that all the time. Oh, I don't make them like they used to. But, yeah. Okay, um, people were sinful in the past and needed a Savior, and people are now sinful and need a Savior, and that's the reality of things, and that's why today matters. Uh, there are good, God did good things in the past, God does them today. What is better is to conclude that people need Jesus in the past, and they need him today and tomorrow, and God uses us in that mission, and that is important. Youngins, it's a waste of time to, be, to live in flattery and seek that out. Constantly, okay? We need the words of the wise. Uh, AARP crew, the past matters, but God does amazing things and life-saving things today and will continue to do that. It's a promise, and God is faithful. Conclusion. Here we go. When life gives you lemons, let me clarify again, we made that hard times, tough decisions, and helpless moments. When there are those times, and you're living in those times, it is better to keep a good reputation because we image Christ. It does not matter for the job promotion. It does not matter for school relationships. What matters is that we image Christ. He has put us on a mission, and our reputation matters. It is better to have a reality check than to check out and have a time of sober reflection. And I just put a little note here. When you're doing that sober reflection, if you don't know where to start, Ask yourself and examine your life and ask Jesus to reveal to you, are you glorifying God in your life every single day? It is better to look for constructive wisdom and be encouraged by what God is doing today. Okay? Now that's all neat and tidy it seems because I got that far. I'm like, yes, okay, we captured the passage. And then uh, I was thinking like, it seems almost too neat. It seems almost hard to actually put that into our life. So this is what I was thinking. This is what finally clicked in my brain. So last night I was doing some work on it. I was at my daughter's first birthday at Hawkinson Meadows Park yesterday. Okay? And I was walking, and there was these, I was walking back to the parking lot to get like balloons or knickknacks and paddywhacks or something. And there was these people coming back. And there was this family. And, um, and this isn't like, I wasn't trying to be mean, but I was just thinking in my head, wow, like, I would imagine that whole family is pretty uncoordinated, you know? I'm just like, that's weird how God kind of, you know, like genes, kind of coordination comes in genes. You get people that are really good at sports, you know, families that are really good, and then you got some, you know, that aren't. I mean, if you're on Facebook, you know the McKinney's are running all over the place, you know, and doing wonderful things. Athletic family right there, right? Um, and I just remember thinking that. I walk by him, and I go, and I grab Sophie from, you know, uh, I, g- I give Sophie to my mom and get some stuff out of the car, and we're walking, and I, you know that leapfrog thing you do over those posts so cars don't go in? 
Well, one of those kids were like, oh, hey, cool, like that, and tried to do one of those little hoppy things. And uh, the kid, like, I don't know, his hand slipped off or something, and he fell and didn't put his hands out and headbutted the ground. And, uh, and I was like, oh, and my mom and I were like, oh, man. And then uh, he's walking up, and I had laser eye surgery, so I got 20-15 vision, so I spotted blood on his head. And I was saying, wow, I think he's bleeding. And he kind of like wipes, he's, he's, wa- <laughs> he's walking, like you can tell he's kind of embarrassed. But people are, he wipes his, you know, he sees blood, and he goes, dude, he says to his friend, he goes, am I bleeding? And his buddy goes, yep. Just like keeps walking. <laughs> and, and I'm like, whoa, you know, it's like you can tell, head wounds bleed, it's coming. And so we're walking by him, and I see his eye split open, fat kind of like starting to hang out. And I was like, dude, you need to get some stitches. He's like, no, no, I'm fine. I'm good. I, this, this happens all the time. I'm fine. Like, he just was so embarrassed. And I was walking. I'm like, oh, man, that guy's got some hard times coming. The message, hard times. You know, I'm like, you know, your reputation matters. I, I just want to say these things. But I was like, how does it really apply? Like, that's a really good scenario. That kid might have a scar on his face. Or maybe, you know, what if he went blind or something? And he's in tough times. And, like, your reputation matters? And I would say, yeah, how he responds throughout that course, if he had gone blind or something, and he is a Christ follower, that, yeah, his reputation does matter. Um, should he try to check out of that and, and try to ignore, okay, I'm blind, I'm just not going to deal with it, I'm fine, you know, and just ignore it, ignore it, ignore it? No, I think that's going to come back and bite him. And a lot of you older folks help us younger folks realize you've got to deal with some stuff. So, yes, that's very practical. The words of the wise, you know, maybe like, like this guy, but in a different sense, he needs somebody to say, hey, dude, like, you're blind out of one eye, you know, you should probably, you know, have laser eye surgery done and get that fixed or something, you know, like, you know, so some wise words or something, and then also be encouraged by what God's doing today, you know, we get in these tough times, and, you know, I cannot help but think of people in our church who's even sick, who, you know, Mondays and Tuesdays we pray for every single week, and, uh, and you know, like, how does this message apply to them? And, you know, I find that the people in those scenarios teach us for when we do get in those scenarios. We have seen people come up here who are sick, and they talk about how great God is, the great things God is doing in their life and the people around them. We see other people come in and God working in people's lives. And it's the people that are in these really tough situations sometimes that are teaching us things. And I think that's powerful. And this stuff is true, yes. Even from hitting your head into the ground and bleeding, man, I think that, you know, you jump up and start cussing and punching your friend and stuff because he said something when you tried to do it. I don't know. Yeah, that matters. And I'm not joking. I think that stuff matters. These people around see that and we reflect Christ. But more importantly, there is something um, in verse 14 that wraps us all together. It wraps us all together, okay? Verse 14, let's read that. In the days of prosperity, be joyful. And in the days of adversity, which is what we're talking about, it says, consider. God has made the one as well as the other. God has made the days of tears, the days of laughter, the days of sorrow, the days of celebration. He has made these days. Every day we live, God has not forgotten about us, and we get into these scenarios. Every day we live, God has created those days. He has allowed us to live that day. And our purpose does not diminish because of our scenarios. We have that purpose. God has given us that day. We have the reality checks. We get down to the stuff. Verse 14 makes everything fall together. Makes everything fall together. Because God has created these days, so we live in it. We live in these days, and God does amazing things. He hasn't forgotten about us. He hasn't forgotten about you. 
In these days, we make lemonade out of lemon and choose what is better when best is not an option. So let me conclude with this. And this is really the conclusion. Because this may be the most important thing I say the entire morning. We choose what is better because Christ did. You see through this better use of tons of times. We sing better is one day. We choose what is better because Christ did. John 16, 7 says, But I tell you the truth. It is better for you that I go away. Where was he going? To the cross. He did what was better. That was a tough time. He knew exactly what was going to be, what was going to happen to him. He was murdered on rough wood hanging from a cross for our sins. The blood that was shed was the blood that was supposed to be shed by us. He took that on. Jesus did what was better. We are Christ-like, made in his image, called to be like Christ, so we choose what is better. This passage lays out what is better in situations when best is not an option. And so we learn from these things. All of us, youngsters, AARP, everybody, this Bible, we don't need to take this and try to find the relevancy. We don't have to make, we don't have to make this relevant. It is relevant. We find what is relevant in it. It is there. God teaches us things through his word. I love it when people ask uh, us to stand when we read scripture. It is so powerful. We do what is better because Jesus did what is better. And the reality of that is that we have an option for eternal life. We accept a free gift. And we can spend eternity with Jesus, our Trinitarian God in heaven. Let's pray. God, you are the one and only God. We unintentionally make other things come and take your place. We are sinful in doing that. God, but you are the one and true God. You give us instruction. You know we're going to find tough times. Almost every single hand went up in this room, if not every single hand. Lord, we have been in tough times, or we know they're coming, Lord. And you give us this way of navigating through them. You tell us to do what is better when best is not an option. Lord, you say these things matter and how we act matters not because of our own pride, Lord, but because it reflects on you and you've created it that way. If we acted and did things and responded to things in these tough times, these hard decisions, in these seemingly helpless moments, people would look at your followers and see you more clearly and that would be attractive. The point when you talk to your disciples, Jesus, that was supposed to be, I want you to do this so people do see that you are my followers and do see accurately who I am. And Lord, it seems almost impossible for us to do that. We constantly have a smudged mirror to reflect you or this broken, shattered mirror, Lord, and only you can put that together and make it clean. And God, I pray that we would never forget that the reality, the 100% reality in every single scenario is that you have saved us. Lord, and we accept a free gift, and this life is temporary. We see that from our friends and family and the soldiers. Lord, this life is temporary, and after this life, you offer us something that nothing else can compare. And that is eternity with you, Lord. Through these tough, tough scenarios, Lord, you say that you, you use those situations to make us stronger and better and draw us nearer to you, Lord. And so through the lemons of life, Lord, you give us lemonade 
and it changes us when we take bad scenarios, Lord, and you use them in our lives, it makes lemonade. And so, yes, where would we be without the lemonade? Lord, I thank you for the tough times and the strength to get through them that you promised faithfully. Lord, and I also pray desperately that as people come into these church doors and have pain and hurt and rough things happening and they feel helpless in these moments, Lord, that they would come to you and pray. They would come to us and we can surround them with love and encouragement and wise words and pray for them. Lord, I I pray for this church that uh, we would not be a church that comes and checks off church and goes home. But we would come here because we are going to edify each other and worship you. Lord, and that includes these wise, wise words, these uh, encouraging moments. And Lord, you, uh, you give us opportunities to connect with other people, Lord. And you do use these tough times to make us uh, better and stronger and draw us near you. So I thank you for the lemonade of life um, that you allow to happen out of these tough times we don't know what to do with. Lord, we love you and we praise you now in worship. In Jesus' name, amen.